on the panel on RNZ National, and it's lovely to have your company, Ella Henry and Nick Leggett, with me this afternoon. Interesting responses coming through on our first story. Here's one. I'm 70, and I've been asked to teach three days this week already, and I only teach at one school. When I started teaching, our salary was comparable to a backbench MP. I need a rest. And we need young people that stay more than a couple of years, uh, the panel. Now, big day of strikes, uh, as you know, ECE, primary and high school teachers, over 50,000 marched today demanding for better working conditions. Signs reading, our working conditions are their learning conditions. I teach 60 kids in a hall and your future is in our classroom. Pauline is a Templeton Primary School teacher near Ototahi Christchurch and has been on strike today. Pauline, welcome. Hi, how are you today? Very well. How are you? How's the strike? The strike was great. The momentum is good. The people are behind it. It hopefully sends a clear message to the government. Why were you on strike today? What are you marching for? Me, personally? Yeah. Um, Because um, teaching is not what it used to be. Teaching has become quite a difficult job. The government and the demands get higher and higher and the things that teachers have to do, there's more added on every year and nothing is ever taken away. So it kind of become, you know, people on going around and around in circles. And how long have you been a teacher, Pauline? This is my 26th year. And, well, yeah, and so uh, a service, uh, a lifetime service in a way, a a career dedicated to education. What are a couple of the key changes that you've seen uh, over a quarter of a century plus in teaching? Um, In teaching, over the the course of my career, um, the vocation was, the draw was to work with children and to, you know, see children benefit from your input in their learning. Um, the job now is much different. The demands are much higher. The children come with, you know, needs and just specific issues that need to be addressed every day. And they're not necessarily learning issues. They could be social issues or personal issues or trauma-related issues. And that becomes part of our job. And all of that has become normalized as the job. It's very hard. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm a teacher, um, albeit at a different end of the spectrum of education, and I absolutely support the 50,000 people. I know how hard it is to make a decision to go on a strike. This is not something taken lightly, and the vast majority of people I know who are educators do it because it's a calling. This is not just a career choice. This is not climbing some corporate ladder. This is a calling. And the most important role you can play in a human's life is to be a teacher and to inspire them to learn. And so when teachers are going out in these numbers, there's something critically wrong, and I hope the ministry is listening. Well, stay there, Pauline. Let's bring Nick Leggett in. Yes, we all remember our great teachers, and I'm from a long line of teachers i didn't i didn't continue in the vocation but um i am i'm also supportive um i mean our our own family uh we've got someone we've got a, a child in in preschool primary and secondary so they're all out today uh not at school but i do think education is the foundation of society and we've got to ensure that 
we are investing properly in the, the children's futures. And to do that, you've actually got to have well-paid teachers who have the right working conditions. I, I'm stunned, really, at, at the complexity of uh, what a teaching day encompasses for, for many of those in the profession. And it's, it's difficult, and it's only going to get harder. So we've, as a society, I think we've got to decide what it is we value, and I think education has to be up there. Oh, yeah, um, Pauline, I, I, I am, and also for other teachers, educators out there listening, I am interested in that aspect, Pauline, of your saying the one thing you've seen over the last uh, you know, 25, 26 years is the complexity of needs of uh, kids coming in. I wonder uh, how that's formed, where that is from, but that is certainly something that I, I have heard from other teachers. It's a, uh, And at the end of the day, end of the week, the big weeks. Pauline. At, the, I did, at the end of the week, I didn't hear that last part. I was just going to say that um, that is something I've heard from other teachers. It's that complexity of needs that yeah. children bring to the class that weren't there before. No, no. And, and it's not, as I said earlier, it's not a, a learning issue. It's a social issue. So we've become counselors and, you know, sociologists and behavior mm. therapists and all kinds of other jobs we have to be experts at to do the job. And it's just we're not trained for it. We need help. We need support. We need resources. What do you need this afternoon? We need the government to put money into the learning support. The learning support, when we call the ministry for support with a child, it could take up to six weeks for us to see someone because they're stretched so thin. We need more learning aids in each classroom. You know, children need help with their learning. And the expectation of putting 29 kids in a classroom with one teacher and Expecting one person to be able to reach twenty nine people. That happens. Every day, that happens. Every subject. Oh, it happens all the every day, all the time. Are you going to stay in teaching? I am. I'm too far into it to get out of it. I've come to the pointy end, and my my specialist skills aren't really transferable outside of my career. I, as Kilda, I really support you, the position you're taking, and and I've, I've read anecdotally there's there's a huge increase in the number of, of teachers who are being attacked by students, as you said, particularly at high school, but even younger. The kids are traumatised by whatever and are coming to work full of ray, are coming to school full of that trauma, and are attacking teachers. So so there's also health and safety issues that need to be built into whatever mechanisms we put around and to use to protect our, our teachers. Pauline, thank you so much for being with us on the panel. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Cool. That's Pauline Templeton, primary school teacher uh, near Christchurch, and listening to that is Dr Paul Hayward, Associate Dean and Head of Initial Teacher Education at the University of Auckland. Dr Hayward, kia ora. Wallace. Yes, so you might have heard, you'd have, you'd have heard Paul in there, some of those issues coming through about the increasing needs of some students coming through. Um, I want to ask you this. Do as many people want to study to be a teacher than, say, 10 years ago? No, they don't. Um, pretty straightforward answer. Um, Particularly over the last year, we've seen a, a real decrease across um, the university sector and people coming into initial teacher education. Um, so that's a real concern for um, 
for society, really. We're just not attracting people into t- to teaching. I, I was listening to Ella talk about, um, you know, people don't get into teaching as a, to climb the corporate ladder. But, um, you know, Lee Iacocca, the, the American corporate um, leader of the automobile industry, said that in a completely rational society, the best of us would uh, be teachers and the rest of us would have to settle for something less because passing civilization on from one generation to the next ought to be the highest honour um, uh, and responsibility one could have. And I think we've lost a little bit of that sense of service. Uh, you mentioned that when you were talking to Pauline, her career of service. And we're just not seeing people viewing teaching as a viable option, and it comes down to money. Um, when you you're, you come out of a three-year or four-year degree and you start on 50000 not too far off the minimum wage, um, and the most you can get in your career is 85 if you if you um, stay in it for long enough, um, it's very hard to um, keep that attraction going. I've been very fortunate in my career of worked with some of the best people. I see some of the best people come through the University of Auckland, fantastic student teachers, but they need to be able to put food on their table, pay their rent, um, and it is impossible when um, pay is really not kept up with, um, with the cost of living. Let's go around the panel on this. Ella Henry. Look, I've been banging on for years about the fact that there was once a time in this country where teachers were bonded and they got a free education in return for committing to stay, you know, with the profession for a number of years and work in rural schools. And I'd love to see something like that because the average teaching student graduates with a $30,000, debt. And then on top of that, they've got to pay their rent and may never own a hang home. On, so you, hang on. So you're coming into a 50K job or $1.99 above minimum wage. 10000 a, a year, what, minimum. What, 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 with a $30,000 debt? Is that right, Paul? That is right. Yeah, if you've done the three-year degree, that's what you'll be paying. Good. Um, so so uh, that isn't really sustainable. Okay, well, you've... to see that in our numbers now. So, and um, directly, Carla, is that perhaps why the numbers are dropping off of those who want to be a teacher today? It's Paul. got to be a factor. Yeah. All right, Nick. Uh, I'm interested to know, Paul, in terms of the, you know, there are fewer numbers of people you said that are coming into teaching. I think that's been felt, you know, across different professions. I'm interested to know if you've got any relative sense of, you know, is it is it worse in teaching? Is it say compared to nursing, compared to um, you know, accountants or lawyers? Is there a sense that you know as a, the the profile of teaching has just dropped away, and we're and we're losing far more people proportionally than than we are into other sectors? Yeah, I mean I can't talk to the other sectors, but like I, I, we do, um, our faculty also uh, provides social work, uh, social work, professional education, and we've seen um, a drop off. And, and those programs as well. And I think it is those service professions, just people have um, have relied on the goodwill of people who go into those mm-hmm. professions, and, and, and people are willing to do that. People don't go into teaching to make millions of dollars. That's not going to happen. But they should be able to go into t- teaching and make a living, and that is not able to happen anymore, and that's why you're seeing people dropping out. And I think it w- does happen in, um, in certain areas of healthcare, and it definitely happens in social work and teaching. And this isn't just a New Zealand problem. This is a national problem that's happened over the last 30 or 40 years as we've seen a kind of um, – 
the, the drive towards um, more neoliberal policies that um, you know, value money over service. Um, just jumping in from one, uh, you may, there are some who might say, here's a deal, reward the better performing teachers. What would you say to that? Um, Whatever that means. I think we need to get the best teachers into teaching and we reward them by um, providing them with working conditions where they can do their job and we provide them with a wage that allows them to do their job. Measuring what a successful um, teacher can do is an extremely complex and difficult task. Um, how do you, how do you um, measure the sole-charge teacher in a small rural school versus um, a teacher in a high school who's got 40 kids in one wow. single subject area? You can't, it, it, it's just not viable and it, it kind of just creates a, a, a dumbing down of the profession as the only way you can do it is really base it on test results and then we become a examination test driven um, education system and you see the um, you see that in America in the United States of America where testing is uh, prevalent and um, PISA is often used to be teachers here with our PISA results but um you can have a look at America's results, and they usually sit below us. And um, oh, okay. so I would, I would totally, um, yeah, reject any kind of performance pay. But I think recruiting the best and having high expectations of them is absolutely crucial. Paul Hayward, it's been really interesting talking to you, Kira. Thank you for your time this afternoon. Uh, now he is the associate dean, head of initial teacher education at Auckland University. The teachers' strike, historic. Were you there? What did you make of it? Do you disagree with it? You can email me as well, the panel at rnz.co.nz. And coming up on the back of that complex needs, here's one before we go on to our next guest. I work for the Mana Ake team in Christchurch. Now, we work in primary schools every day. There are about 60 of us in Canterbury. We can't believe the stuff that our teachers are having to put up with. Most of our schools have really big learning helps with it can be up to 60 children or more and three teachers. Maybe a couple of learning assistants and often children with really high needs are so disruptive to the rest of the class. Nobody actually has the time to put into them or even the skills. I've seen teachers in tears so many times at the end of the week is is just exhausting. The crowd controlling, not teaching uh, as often. So that's anonymous there. Interesting. 22 past four, the panel. Nick Leggett and Ella Henry with me today. The cost of living is increasing quickly. I see just see the latest GD figures today. Falls 0.6% in the three months ending December. Bigger contraction than expected. And what are the costs? You've got an additional 9.5% on water. That's in Auckland. The cost of fruit and veg increased by 16% in the last year. Then you've got the mortgage rates. Inflation hitting highs not seen in 30 years. Now, many have had a wage increase. But what if you haven't? Craig Rennie is an economist at CTU. Kia ora, Craig. Kia ora. There are quite a few, haven't there, I think, who haven't had an increase. I think it's at about 35%. Yes, 34% in the latest set in December. Um, 34% of New Zealanders, according to the Leo Cross Index, didn't see any change in their salary or working time rates at all last year. So if you haven't, you'd be well behind the eight ball, wouldn't you? Well, if inflation is 7.2%, you're taking a real terms pay cut every time that happens. 
So, you know, there's, there's plenty of people who will be falling behind. And if you're on a low income and you're facing inflation that may be higher than a general rate because more of your income is going on rent, on food, on petrol, on other things which are rising more quickly than general inflation, then you're even further behind. We do have the second highest minimum wage in the OECD. Is that where we want to be? Is it too low? Many in small businesses would say it's too high, and we are suffering as well. Um, well. One of the things I think we would say is that you know workers should be paid a rate that allows them to lead a life of decency and meaning. And so for us at the CTU, that means we've always campaigned for the minimum wage to be the living wage because that calcul- that's calculated to allow people to have a decent life and to be able to participate fully um, in society. But you're not wrong. One of the things we think for many New Zealanders is that they're underpaid. We have the second highest minimum wage in the developed world, but we have one of the lowest average wages in the developed world. So there's a real compression there between those two figures. Brian, uh, let's start with Nick on this one. Yeah, Craig, who are the 35%? Um, what are, the, what are the, the, the parts of the economy that haven't had that pay rise? Um, I would love to be able to tell you that, Nick, but unfortunately the data only comes to us in a, in a very bold figure, which just is 34%. Um, I can tell you the distribution of wages other than that, but I can't tell you who is inside that figure. But I can tell you who's won and who's lost relatively recently. So, for example, some of the lowest pay movements were in education, which was at 1.6% last year. Public administration and safety rose 3.9%. Retail, rental and hiring services was up 2.2%. So there are definitely some industries, and um, particularly some industries that you might think of uh, of actually being a bit unusual in this space, who, are, who aren't increasing at the same rate as everybody else. So it, is, so it does seem to be public sector, and it follows on from what we were talking about with the teaching strikes, that education seems to have had very poor increases. Um, I do know, I'm just, just, as you know, I represent the trucking industry, and I think where the, the I know we've had significant increases for truck drivers, which was long overdue, might I add, but yeah. nonetheless, it does seem to be public sector that are on the, the lower side here. Well, one of the well, interesting one of the numbers there that you just picked out is um, road and rail drivers mm. have seen increases of six point two percent overall. Um, so you know they've definitely been better than the average figure across um, uh, the piece. So they're they're doing um, better than others. Ella, I <clears throat> I've had nothing but absolute sympathy for people who are just getting by, and I, I'm just going to say I'm very fortunate. I live in a multi generational household with my whanau and we're able to aggregate our incomes and and you know cooperatively purchase food. And I'm I'm advocating for our communities to think about how do you get together as a street or a whanau and oh, yeah. aggregate your buying capabilities so that you buy in bulk and you save money and you create community gardens and food havens because. I think we have some dark times ahead, and I remember my mother and father surviving the the big depression, and they did that by working as communities and Fano and villages, and and I think yeah. that's how we survive really hard times. You want to respond to that, Craig? Um, I think it's really important that we, you know, everyone does what they can, and certainly working together with everybody else to help manage the current cost of living is really important. But at the end of the day, if you're in full-time work, you should be able to keep a roof over your head, you should be able to put food on the table for your family, and you should be able to have a decent standard of living. That's why we at the CTU have always campaigned for the minimum wage to be the living wage. And, you know, for us, 
that's the route to making sure that households have what they need rather than, you know, um, there's plenty of things you can do, but there's things you can do along, along the side. They're not the key route to actually tackling the challenge right now, which is making sure people have enough in their pockets. All right, Craig, thank you for your time. Uh, I always appreciate it. That's Craig Rennie, the, uh, who's an economist at the CTU. Um, real sort of um, segue from the teaching, isn't it, uh, Alan? Not that, really. I mean, the whole world, you know, this is not something unique to New, New yeah, Zealand. Course, there yeah. is economic recession on the horizon where some of the biggest banks in the world are, are, are faltering. Um, you, you know, we might be on the threshold of another 2008 or another 99 or and and so I guess coming up with community initiatives mm. I guess I support CTU totally point. but we also need to be resilient within our villages, our communities, our families We'll come back to that tomorrow actually we're going to be talking about that uh, global aspect tomorrow. 28 past 4 thank you, there's some, been some incredible responses today, I want to um, pop those in the Friday mailbag and keep them coming, if you're a teacher what are you experiencing? early child care uh, th- throughout. Uh, text me to 101 or email the panel at rnz.co.nz. I've got to bring this up. A different story. A pub in the UK has laid down the rules and igniting comments on social media. Eight rules have been included at the boot shoe, the boot and shoe in in Tockworth, Yorkshire. Here's one. No phones. A notice says receiving and sending texts, taking photos, emailing and playing on games and apps, as well as the use of social media like your Twitter, gone. One punter said, I made the mistake according to the pub, never again. I felt like a school kid being told off for checking the footy score on my phone. So I want to go around the panel. Is this something, Nick Leggett, that would attract you? You go into a local and at the door they said, here's a basket for your mobile phone. Would you do it? Is it a business opportunity? What do you think? Well, it's the perfect market at work, isn't it? If you, do, if you like it, you go to that pub, and if you don't, you don't go, and they'll either stay in business or they won't. Look, I, I think it's a, I think it will attract people. Um, I mean, I know it's probably a pretty localised kind of a place, and and, and you want to you want to go to your local because it's local. Um, but um, I, I reckon there's a, I think that there's probably a return to this. Like, get rid of technology, have a proper face-to-face conversation. Um, it's and so backward, though, because part of having a pint is actually being on Twitter, isn't it? And actually being up with the play, being up with what people are saying about you or other people. Well, probably you, Wallace, but for the rest of us humans, I think, um, you know, it's quite nice to actually connect and engage with somebody who's in front of us. Uh, it, I think it's, look, we'll see how it goes for them. I mean, I can see why people think? would be offended, but yeah. I'd, like, if they don't like it, as I say, don't go. I just think this is crazy, Ella. I mean, what's more enjoyable than having a glass of wine at your local and scrolling through Instagram, Adam Finitum? Your thoughts? Um, so, obviously, we're capable of going to multiple places for different experiences. There are some places that I want to go to because I can take my grandson and know he's safe. There are other places I want to go to, perhaps the soirees that I might have yeah. with people where, where the last thing we need is photographic evidence of our gathering. <laughs> <laughs> So so having those options, I think, is a good thing in the local community. Here's, a, here's an answer. I hope uh, Ayana doesn't mind me. In fact, I've, yeah, big thumbs up. So um, Ayana here spent uh, seven or eight months in Antarctica, and the pub there uh, doesn't have Wi-Fi. And she said something amazing happened. You know what happened? 
Conversation. Conversation. <laughs> People, gotcha. It was quite. It was quite strange. People talked with with each other. I know it's scary. So, mm. so much so they enjoyed it. Mm. And when they said Wi-Fi is going to be on uh, next year, they all said no. Sad face emoji. They, <laughs> they refused to have Wi-Fi in the pub in Antarctica because they said we like talking to each other. Isn't that strange? Reminiscent of the time when we used to sit around a fire and tell each other stories. Couldn't exist. Couldn't exist. I need my Twitter and Instagram at the pub.